Well, this morning we are just a couple of uh, Sundays away, two Sundays away, this Sunday and next Sunday, from wrapping up the series Healthy. And I feel like the series has gone over really well, that many of you have benefited from uh, the material and also have really engaged in it. I love hearing stories of people saying, hey, we are trying some of these things, or we're working on some of these things. And so I trust that as you have listened and as you are engaging, that God is doing amazing work in you. Next Sunday, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to wrap up with a guest speaker, and we're going to talk about mental health, uh, a topic that I know is uh, well known, and I know that many uh, struggle with in different ways from time to time, and I really look forward to what God has in store for us next Sunday, and so you do not want to miss this. One of the things I've been doing um, as this series has been going um, on, I've been thinking of a way, an illustration or an example or something that I could use to sort of help capture um, what we've been wanting to say with all of um, these sermons, all of these different uh, um, sermons that we've had over time. And then God miraculously does something in my life a silly illustration, a silly example in some ways that I'm like, that's it. That's the one. This is going to work. And so I want to share with you about something that happened to me. Um, nothing major, but something that happened. And I have permission uh, from the person who I got to experience this together with um, to share their name and also um, the story. And so um, Pete Gertzen, the guy that was just up here on the stage, um, he came over last week, Monday, and he, together and I, and he and I, we took down a, a fairly large tree at our house. Now, Pete would immediately say, he took the tree down and I watched, but, uh, you know, we won't debate that here in front of everybody. But I think I did an amazing job watching, if nothing else, you know. Now, before we got started, you know, chainsaws, they can be a little bit tricky, and so Pete's trying to get his chainsaw going, and is having some trouble. And, you know, this is a bit of an issue because we're trying to take down a tree, and, you know, we need the saw to work. And so it didn't take long, you know, Pete being Pete, uh, it didn't take him long, and he had his saw running. And it, but at the same time, I, I see him looking at it, and he's like, it's not, this is not right. Something's not right. And so, you know, he shut it off again, and he played around with it, and it didn't take him long, and he saw, like, oh, his, in, his intake which I don't even know what that is, but apparently it needs air to breathe. So it needs to suck in air. It was completely plugged full. Now, I have a feeling that Ucha did that because she didn't want him over at my house cutting down a tree. But, you know, again, we aren't going to debate that in front of all of you. But anyway, his, the intake of this chainsaw was completely full of junk. Like, I'm talking packed full. So he emptied it all out and started, and of course, now the saw ran much better. Much better. But this being Pete's saw... Again, he didn't say much, but I can look at him and he can, I can tell. He's like, this isn't, this isn't perfect. This is not how my saw normally runs. But either way, you know, it was working well enough to start taking down branches. And so he got up on the lift and, and, and he's up there and we're, we're, it's working really well. And over time, the, the saw ran out of fuel. And so he comes down and he fills up the saw. And I think it was somewhere in the course of that, he noticed that the little guard in front of the muffler had been hit. And, uh, you know, like the lengths Uchi will go to to have him not come to my house and work. I don't know. But anyway, she had, you know, anyway it, it had been smashed in, and so now the saw couldn't really breathe. The muffler was plugged, and it couldn't really breathe. 
And so on Tuesday morning, the day after we took down, you know, I should say, he, he took the cover off, and now you can see the delight in his eyes. This is my saw. This is how it's supposed to run. And then things went much smoother from there. So on Tuesday morning, I'm on my, my morning walk. I've shared this with you. I go on my prayer walks, and, and that morning, this image popped into my head that this saw needed both intake and output to work properly. And when we think about healthy, I want you to have this idea in your head that it needs to be about both intake and output. We, we cannot only come to church like this and take in. And many, many Christians, we practice consuming. And, and I'm not saying that that's bad. You need to read your Bible. You need to listen to sermons. You need to come to church. You need to, you need to read books. You know, if you're into podcasts and blogs, be careful. But you need, to, you need to consume. You need to hear what God is saying. But there needs to also be output. You cannot just consume. This saw needed to be able to both breathe in and breathe out. And the same is true for us as believers. We need to, and if we're going to move towards being healthy, and if we're going to move towards healing, then we need to be in a process where we're also acting out, living out, putting out what God is doing in our lives so that both intake and output are working together. This is worship. This is encouraging others. This is seeing fruits in our lives as we live actively and do and we serve God with what we have already consumed and what we've experienced. So today, I think this works really well with the, with the topic we want to talk about today. Because today we want to talk about healthy finances. Healthy finances. Money is something that all of us use. Money is something that all of us need. But we also recognize that money, if not managed properly, can do a lot of damage. Money is powerful. Money is not evil. Money is not something that we should be afraid of. But we can learn to manage money and work with money in a way that brings worship and honor and glory to God and also something that we can use and that God can gift us with to do incredibly good things for other people and ourselves. Money will allow you to have a great romantic night with your spouse. Money will allow you to take a much-needed vacation with your family. Money will allow you to bless someone who is in need. Money can also get you locked up. So we need to manage money carefully. Now, some of you have heard, and again, I just want to clarify this. Some of you have heard that pastors, you know, from pastors, that this is the topic, money is the topic that Jesus talked about the most. I would push back on that a little bit. Um, although... In 11 of the 39 um, parables, Jesus brings up money. Um, you should know that one out of seven verses of Jesus speaking is about money. And pastors love to use these kind of verses. As if it gives us now somehow permission to speak on the topic of money. And I will tell you here today, as your pastor, I'm not afraid to talk to us about money. Because I believe this is part of something that we all need to have um, you know, a, a handle on. So Jesus mentioned money, but we need to recognize that Jesus, this is not the topic that Jesus spoke about the most. 
So I will not use that angle as if I need that to have permission to speak to you today about money. I want to give you an example. Let's say I would say to you, hey, in order to be physically healthy, you probably want to back off on the donuts. Now, am I speaking about donuts or about being physically healthy? Are you all listening? Physically healthy, <laughs> you know? And so I use donuts to make a point. And what you're going to see in the parables is that Jesus was not afraid to bring up money, but he often used money to make another point. And if you're curious, while we're on this topic, what is the topic that Jesus spoke about the most? It was the kingdom of God. And money came into that story often. You know, you hear about you know, Jesus talking to the very rich ruler, and, and money was part of it. But really what it was about was coming to Christ and surrendering to Christ to build the kingdom of God. So let's go back to financial, uh, healthy finances. So we do want to talk about money today. And I hope that you're not like, oh, great, the Sunday I decide to come to church, we got to bring this up. We do. As a matter of fact, we should probably talk about this more because my guess is that for many of us, this is a topic that is heavy on our hearts at times. And not in a bad way, not in a sinful way, but because it is such a key part of many of our lives um, for good or for bad. And I hope that this morning, this sermon will help you and challenge you on your view of money, but also that it will help you and give you some tools to see that you can be wise with your money. So let's start with an understanding. The very first thing you need to know about money is that it is not yours. Ha ha ha. You're like, well, what about all my debt? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Whoever's here that I owe money to, you just heard the pastor. It is not mine, and that is also not mine. That's not what I mean. Money is not yours, folks. We need to understand that. We need to start from there. Because if we have a, a, a proper understanding of, well, really, technically, nothing is ours. Everything is a gift from God. Everything has been given to us. Your very breath that you breathe, you don't have a right to. It is given by grace to you from God. Matthew chapter 25, 14, 15. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. This was never the servant's money. It was entrusted to them by the owner of the money. It is never, ever, in that parable, the servant's money. And we must understand, as a congregation... And as individuals, we must understand the difference between being owners and stewards of God's money. We must recognize the difference between ownership and stewardship when it comes to money. We are not the owners of the money. God is the owner. We are the stewards. Psalm chapter 24, 1 and 2, it says, The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So this approach is essential to our understanding. So I want you to try this, okay? 
I want you to do a mental calculation. Some of you, this is going to be depressing. <laughs> Some of you, it's going to be pretty exciting. I want you to do a mental um, calculation right now in your head of the money that you have. Go through your bank accounts right now. Go. Just mentally. I want you to think about it. Don't worry about the money you owe. Don't just subtract that. Some of you account-minded people are like, okay, interest. and you know, Don't worry about all that. I can't keep up with you if you pull that stunt. Um, but I want you just to think for a moment, how much do you have right now? How much is in this bank or this bank or wherever you have it? How much do you have? Do a mental calculation. I'm not going to ask you to share, but you all got a number in your head, roughly? Some of you are like, this is easy, zero, <laughs> you know, <laughs> done, you know, it's all gods, uh, all zero of it, um, and some of you, the number might be a few letters, numbers, not letters, numbers in front of that, but here's what I want you to just practice right now as an act of worship, to hold that before God and say it's yours. This lack of cash <laughs> or this abundance of cash. Some of you are talking thousands, and some of you might even be talking millions that you have access to. It is God's. Start with that mindset that I will live my life recognizing that what I have, I am a steward of those things. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19, looking at the same parable that we just looked at, where the man entrusted his wealth to these servants. We see that God is concerned about what we do with what's been entrusted to him. So in verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. This wasn't just given and said, go be careless with it. You know, I'm asking you to be a steward of my, my money, my wealth, my inheritance. I'm entrusting it to you. Now go and squander it wherever you want. The master came back and he settled accounts with the servants. And I don't want to frighten you, and I don't want to sound like, you know, like, oh, be, be worried and be afraid. But I believe that God will settle account with us one day on how we have worshipped and served him with the money that he has entrusted to us. So just keep that in mind as well. I once heard that there are only four things that you can do with money. You can make it, you can give it, you can save it, and you can spend it. And some of you might say, well, you don't know my spouse. My spouse can also waste it. Um, they can, you know, it just vanishes once they're around. You know, it's amazing. We go into a store and we come out broke. But, um, but I think this is fairly accurate. And you could do little different things, invest and all that, you know, whatever. Like save, spend, those words can maybe get blurred at times. We work hard for our money. And I think the, the difficulty is when it comes to us you know, prioritizing our money, most of us are concerned when we look at that list mostly about the first one and the last one. We want to make sure that we are making it and we want to make sure that we are spending it properly. And sadly, this is how most of us actually prioritize our money. We make it and we spend it. And we spend it on things we want, not necessarily even on things that we should and then if there's some left, if there's a little bit left, we may give some of that away. And then, because you know we need the tax receipt. And then if there is still some left, some of it might actually make it into our bank account to save. 
And sadly, I think the list on the, in the white is the list that we should be using, and the list in the orange is what we often do with it. And so the first thing, like I said, we need to recognize is that money is not given to us to just do whatever we want with it because it's ours. It's God's. And this theme is in the Bible over and over, that we are to use our money and give it to God. It is always His. From as early on as Cain and Abel, God is expecting His people to give their first fruit, to give their best. There's a story of a man who is getting baptized. And as he walked into the baptism tank, he pulled out his wallet from his back pocket and he held it in the air. And the pastor was a little confused. He was like, hey, what are are you doing? And the man replied, well, I do not want my faith to interfere with my finances. And there's this idea, I will will hold this separate from what I'm doing in my baptism because I don't want my faith to interfere. And we can't do that when it comes to our money. As children of God, as Jesus followers, we need to recognize that there's been, we've been instructed to use our money and to honor God with our money or with money. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of, of all your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with wine, new wine. You've heard of the prosperity gospel and, and many preachers who live in the prosperity gospel um, they would use verses like this and others to to make their points and prosperity gospel is the belief that if you express positive thoughts make positive declarations donate to the church you will receive health wealth and happiness as a believer and christian evangelists often use this and preach this as a way to you know, um, spur people to give to their ministry, promising that if you give to the ministry, then God will also bless you. There's a flip side, because this is a false gospel. Prosperity gospel is a false gospel. But there's another one that maybe some of you lean into that we need to also be careful of. And the other gospel is what's called poverty gospel. Poverty gospel is the belief that you should give everything away, that you should be poor, that you should be miserable, and that this is how you will show God that you trust Him completely. You will not ever concern yourself with anything as far as health or money or anything like that. And many, many churches have this belief for their missionaries and for their pastors. And I'm very thankful that you do not. But you may have this Fear sometimes that if you're making money, well, now I'm living in sin because I'm making money. So be careful that it's not about prosperity gospel, but be careful that it's also not about poverty gospel. Because when God blesses us, we should be grateful, but we should always recognize that we are stewards of what we have been blessed with. It is never ours to do with what we want. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus answers, answered, he said, If you want to be perfect, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And I've seen many people in the poverty gospel use a verse like that to declare that you should never own anything. And that's not what Jesus was saying here. Poverty gospel is also a false gospel. There are many passages like the one we just read in Proverbs 
that express this idea that if you give, God will bless you richly in return. So we give not to test God's faithfulness. We give not expecting financial reward, but we give in obedience and as an act of worship to our King. We know that God instructs us to give our first fruits to Him. This theme is all throughout the Bible, and, and nowadays we call this tithing. We are called, as God's people, to tithe. The word tithe literally means tenth. And the Bible teaches a principle called storehouse tithing. That when you tithe, it is not given to an organization or, 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 or something that might be very, very beneficial and very good, but a tithe is to the church. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there that there may be food in my house. And if you read the prior verses to this, God is actually fairly upset with his people because he says, you've been robbing me because you have not been bringing your tithe to the church. Now a storehouse at that time was a place in the temple where all the people would bring their tithe. And this way, when there was needs and also other ways, they were able to meet the needs of the people. And it was administered by the Levites, and, and this was carried out as a work within the temple. So we need to recognize that a tithe, our tenth that we give, is to be given to the storehouse. And like I said, today it is called the local church. Tithing has been something that you've probably heard about. And it's something that, you know, again, I'm not using here today as a way to, you know, say, hey, we've got, you know, needs or whatever. You should tithe. Your tithe should be willingly given. Just as you raise your voice to sing willingly, just as you open your Bible to give willingly, I mean to read and to pray willingly and to experience God, the same is with our tithe. But Maria and I, we have spent our entire marriage life tithing. And this was something that we just recognized that we were going to do and, and we wanted to, to do this to worship God and to serve God and to be obedient and I can tell you stories over the years of how God has rewarded and blessed us for that. I can also tell you stories of times when we were in very dire financial stress and where money that we needed seemed to not come. But because none of you want to hear those stories, let me tell you a one that's more feel-good. And it is beautiful because for us it was such a beautiful sign of God's obedience and God's faithfulness to us in what we were doing and what we were, how we were being obedient to him. Years ago when we were first married, um, we were like many of you when you first start out, we didn't have much. The furniture in our, our house was all used and we just did not have much. And so we brought in a financial advisor and this financial advisor went through all of our finances trying to help us understand how we could better work through our money. And so you know how it is the first little while. They just collect data and collect data. And, uh, you know, and she's going through it. And I will never forget her name. Her name was Connie. And I will also never forget what she accused us of. And she accused us of hiding an income. And Maria and I were like, why are you accusing us of this? And she says, based on your income and based on your cost of living... You are about $300 a month short. 
and yet I see that you are saving in your bank account. So where is the income? And Maria and I are like, there's no other income. Connie, being a woman of integrity, decided that she would actually not work with us because we, she just assumed we were lying. Good, good for her. Maria and I are pretty insulted. First off, we're youth pastors, <laughs> accused of lying. And secondly, we're just like, what are we doing wrong? What are we not seeing? And these were low times. We were financially struggling a lot. And I remember us sitting in our tiny little house on our used, disgusting furniture, and we kind of prayed together and we cried together, and all of a sudden it dawned on us, this is God. This is God. So I'm not saying that story to say that that's going to be your experience every single time. But I have seen in my own life how God has been faithful. And so I do not want you to hear that, you know, oh, you can live large as long as you tithe and God will just keep giving and giving. No, that's prosperity gospel and it's a false gospel. But God does bless obedience. At the same time, we must learn to be content. In Philippians, I won't take time to read that, but Philippians chapter 4, 10 to uh, 13, Paul tells us that he has experienced both need and plenty. He has experienced what it feels like to be hungry and what it feels like to be well-fed, what it feels like to have much and what it feels like to have nothing. And then he says that he has learned to be content in all of this. So when it comes to money, we must not see ourselves as someone who is just you know, the owner of it and going to make the most of it and, you know, those kinds. Of, we must learn with our money to also be content. And sadly, many of us often, when it comes to money, respond to it like the prodigal son did. Look at Luke chapter 15, 11 and on. Jesus continued and he tells this parable of the prodigal son. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, to, uh, Father, give me my share of the estates. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the young, sense, young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The son had no regard for the father. By asking for his share of the estate, the son, in a sense, was saying, Dad, you're dead to me. And once he had what he had, he saw it as his. He didn't see that this was money that his dad would have worked for for years. This was money that his dad would have you know, worked to um, um, you know, collect and gather. And, and that by spending his money, he was now also degrading his father's reputation. The son had no regard for the father's reputation, his, uh, you know, his, his honor, nothing. All that the father had toiled for, the son squandered as if it was worthless because the son had not worked for any of it. And I think we need to recognize that when it comes to money, that we see God as the one who has given it. And that by how we spend our money, that we are recognizing that we need to bring honor to God even in this way. In verse 14, we read in this parable that in a very short time, he had spent everything he had. And he was forced to go back to the Father with nothing to show for it. So I want to encourage you to be aware of the funds that you have. To recognize 
that we cannot respond to God with our finances like this prodigal son did, where we just take from God and we squander it on whatever we want with no regard to how our finances and also in how our spending habits are representing our view of God. I hope that lands and I hope that makes sense. So I want to wrap up today by giving you a few practical thoughts. I am no financial guru. I am not an investor. Um, but I have learned, Maria and I have learned some things over the years. And in the next few minutes, I'm just going to plow through these. And I hope that if they're helpful, you can use them. But if they are not, then you do what you feel is best for you. And so having said that, I also want to just share you, with you my resume a little bit, or our resume a little bit. We've grown up in this church, and again, this is not me complaining, it's just simply fact. We've grown up often with wages less than others. And we recognize that that's part of ministry, and we're good, and we thank God for the way he has provided for us over the years. But at the same time, we own a house, we have zero debt, haven't had any debt for years and I say that because I want you to listen that maybe this approach can work. So the first thing, three key things I want to say right off the top. Number one, we practice what I just preached. We practice what I just preached. We view our money as God's money. When we receive it, we thank God for it. When we give it, we worship God with it. Secondly, we tithe from all of our incomes whether it's our tax returns or gifts or whatever it is, we tithe from all of our incomes. Third, after giving to the church, we've always strived to be generous. We, res we sponsor missionaries, and we want to see, when we see someone in need, we want to help them as we can. I share those three things with you, not to brag, but I share those three things with you because they are at the heart of how we believe we should view money. It is not ours to just do with what we want. So let me pause here for a moment and emphasize that this, you know, is, is what we've always done. Not just now that we have more money in the bank, but this is something that we've done right from the start. So wherever you are at financially today, whether you're making lots of money or whether you're in a place where you're really struggling, it starts with a mindset that God, what you've given me, whether it's $10 or whether it's $10,000, it's yours. And I will worship you and serve you with it. Now let me give you just a few other quick little hints. Another one that we've done over the years is we've learned to live within our means. Meaning that we do not intentionally spend money on more money than we make. While both Marie and I work, uh, we always make financial decisions based on my income alone. And again, I recognize that that may not always work for all of you, but the reason we did that, especially when we were first married, is we recognized that if we would have a surprise child, I would only have, we would only have one income. And so we just right off the bat decided that we would um, mortgage, we would finance our whole life based on that. The other thing you should know is that we've always worked hard. And if you can work, work. Bring, it brings meaning to your life. Another thing that we've done over the years is we planned ahead. Right now we have two vehicles, and we know that these vehicles will not last forever. 
So what we've done over the years is we calculate roughly what it would cost to buy a vehicle, and this is what the payments would be if we had to get a loan. And so we just start putting money, that amount of money, into another account, planning ahead on what cost or what, what expenses will come. And if you have a car, let me just give you the bad news, your car at one point is going to stop working. So if you can already, plan ahead and start saving for the expense that will come down the road. So this is just another one of those simple little things that we had, we've done. So over the years, with this in mind, do not spend money that you have not yet received. I hear this sometimes from people. They're like, well, okay, well, it's tax season. We normally get back this and this much, you know, and then, hey, you know, we can afford this because we're going to have, yeah, remember that guy, this and this and this. Don't spend money you don't yet have. And along with that, there's this little thing that Maria and I have loved to say over the years that we would rather argue about money we haven't spent than money we have spent. Okay, I thought that would, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Write that down. My wife and I had a real good argument one time, and it was about a fridge we didn't buy. I thought it was an amazing deal. What in the world are we thinking? Let's buy this stinking fridge, because this is exactly what we've been looking for, and it's a great sale. We drove home with no fridge, and we fought all the way home. But the money stayed in our bank, and it was a much more comfortable argument than if it was now gone, and it's like, oh dear, maybe this fridge isn't what we need after all. Another one is avoid debt if you can. If you must borrow, be wise. Consider the interest rates and consider all that. Never base debt what you borrow on minimum payments. If you can only afford the minimum payments, and again, I understand that some of you are in a place right now where this will be difficult to process because of the dire need that you are in. But if you need to borrow and if you need to use credit card and all those kind of things, Make it something that you have to do for a season, not something that becomes a practice all the time. And then with that, pay off your highest interest loans. Whatever those might be, because interest can just absolutely, absolutely crush you. And if you're newly married, and maybe for some of you, this would also be helpful. We practice early on, we dispersed our funds. Meaning, we opened multiple bank accounts. And you can do this. We had one account that was our living account. We had another one that's our emergency plan. And we had another one that was a car plan. We had another one for vacations. And as we got our income, we paid, obviously, our living account and those things. But then we would gently start putting money in these different places. Why? Because even though it wasn't a large amount of money, when it was all clumped together, it looked more beautiful than it really was. And so we learned over the years that for us to really be good stewards of our money and to be careful with it, we dispersed it. So it's not all sitting in one account looking much bigger than it actually is. You do with that as you wish. And the last thing I want to say to you is if you need help, ask for help. Ask for advice. We've talked to people over the years who were, you know, and I'm not even talking about investment. If you're going to think about investment, don't, come to talk, don't talk to me because I'm not that guy. And I'm not even talking about any of that stuff here. I'm talking more about just giving, making, giving, saving, and spending. Okay? And being very careful with how that happens. But if you need support, there are people in this church and there are other people that you can sit down with and say, Hey, this is an area where we struggle. Way back we brought a guy into our house and he went over our stuff. 
and it was more around life insurance and some of those kind of things. And, and we thought we had made a really good decision. But this professional put eyes on that, and he just said, get rid of this. This is not wise. He wasn't selling us anything. He was just someone who saw what we had done and gave us some really good advice. And the guy that sold us all that stuff ended up in jail. And so sometimes you, you don't know what the right decision is. So ask in, um, for advice and be very careful that the person you ask ha- is doing well financially. If, you know, you're asking your buddy, you know, and he's always broke, you know, find someone else. Might not be the best guy. And then I said that was the final one, but I want to say this as the final thing. I'm conscious of the fact, as your pastor, that some of you are in a difficult place financially today. I hear stories of some of you just scraping by, working hard, doing your best, and the money is just tight. So if you listen to this sermon today, especially my practical ideas, and you feel guilty that you're not, please don't do that. We recognize that if you're in a place where you're kind of in a, in a season of desperation and you're just doing what you can to get by and you're working hard, start with a mindset that this is God's. And there might be times you want to say to God, I have no idea how to pay this bill, but this bill is also yours. And it's not to test God, but it's a simple truth of I'm working, I'm doing my hardest, God. I'm obedient with what you've given me, and I will serve you, and I will do all that I can But God, I don't know my way through this one. And you would do that with a health issue. You would do that with a relational issue. And feel free that you can also do that with your finances. So let me pray for you. And then you are dismissed. So God, I thank you that you are the the one who owns a thousand hills. Or the cattle on a thousand hills. That everything that we see in front of us, you have control over. And so I thank you, God, for the finances that are in this room. And I pray that we would worship you and serve you with them. I pray that we would provide for the storehouse so that the church can serve and minister to people. I also pray for those of us here that are struggling financially. Maybe they're staying up at night and they're stressed. God, I pray that you would give them peace. Father, if there needs to be wiser decisions with their money, then I pray, or with the money, I pray that you would give them wisdom. But Lord, if they're faithfully doing all they can, then we pray for a miracle. We pray, God, that there would just be an outpouring of your blessing on them. And that you would provide, in the same way we would pray, God, bring healing to the sick. I pray for those in this church who are working hard, saving and being careful and yet the money is always tight. God, I pray in the same way that you would bless and provide. I pray this over our people here. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.